everyone. What another wonderful day it is here to be a part of today's mentor chat. And I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. So I am Sophia Duck. I identify as an African-American woman and I use she, her pronouns. There's a lot about me that even that statement alone, an African-American woman that you don't know um, unless you really give me a chance to be in conversation and develop a relationship with you. So just giving you a heads up as to what our topic for today's discussion is, we're going to talk about practicing cultural humility. So while I identify as an African-American woman, I also mentioned there's a lot of other things that make me the unique being that Sophia is. So today's conversation is going to be full of thinking about our own self-identities, but then also recognizing that as we mentor young people, they have identities. And how are we helping them to shape their identities, to think about their connection to the ancestors and what makes them who they uniquely are? So I'm joined today by, of course, Ashley. I'll give her a chance to introduce herself. And then we have Jenny, uh, who's going to be also sharing with us today. And we're going to be talking about practicing cultural humility. So all season, we have been bringing this idea of becoming a better mentor. And today, we're looking at chapter two and thinking about what it is to practice cultural humility. So let me pause and let Ashley and Jenny introduce themselves. Hi again, everyone. This is Ashley here. It's nice to be here again. And to further introduce myself, um, I am a white woman. Um, I also use she, her pronouns. I'm Jenny. I am the mentorship program manager at Hello Neighbor. I have a background in anthropology, which is sort of how I came to this work. And I am a white Jewish woman who also uses she, her pronouns. Awesome. You know, there's a, a lot to be said about the way we introduce ourselves, um, but there's also the way that other people see us. And when I think about the way that the three of us just identified ourselves is more the way other people see us, right? Uh, because my my cultural background and all the different things that make me me doesn't just stop at being an African-American. So Let's dive in, right? Because I can I can sit here and talk about that for for hours, especially since I kind of know a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, let's let's talk about this. So practicing cultural humility, uh, Jenny. Let's let's start there. You read the chapter. Um, we're all looking forward to discussing this amazing topic and thinking about our young people and how to be better mentors to them. Uh, what does practicing cultural humility mean to you? Sure. So I work at Hello Neighbor, which is a nonprofit that works specifically with immigrants and refugees in Pittsburgh. Uh, since we were started in 2017, we have worked with people from over 26 countries. And we also know that, honestly, uh, no country is a monolith. There are lots of different ethnic groups and cultures within those countries, um, which means that we can't just have one way that we do things for everyone because everyone is different has different expectations, has different experiences um, that they're, they're bringing to the table when we work with them. Our goal is to connect those refugees and immigrants with a local mentor to help and support them and give them confidence in their new chapter of their lives here in Pittsburgh. 
really what cultural humility means to me is trying as much as possible to be aware of my own biases. I sometimes think, does a fish in water know that it's wet? Like, what is there that I'm not seeing or not realizing is my reality because I am involved in it so much? Um, There's this sort of famous quote that gets brought up in intro to anthropology classes all the time, that anthropology makes the familiar strange and the strange familiar. That when we spend time learning about or getting to really understand someone who is different from us, we also see that our assumptions are assumptions. The things that we thought were just a fact about the world around us, things that we thought were common sense are actually not common whatsoever, but a sort of product of our experiences, the way that we have been brought up. Um, And that also some of the things that we thought were so unusual that we had never encountered before actually start to make a lot of sense. Um, So for instance, I think about eye contact. In the U.S., Most of the time, we encourage children and adults to make eye contact. It's a symbol of respect. It's a symbol of honesty, right? We say, look me in the eyes so I know you're telling me the truth. The eyes are the window to the soul. Um, If someone is not looking at an American in the eyes, the American will often assume that they are not telling the truth, that they are maybe not paying attention, that they are maybe sneaky, (laughs) Um, there are many cultures in which making eye contact is considered aggressive and the polite and respectful thing to do is not to look at someone's eyes directly. Um, and so we have this clash where one person feels that they are being deferential and respectful and the other feels that they are not being listened to or respected. Um, and even just being aware that 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 dynamic can exist helps make us understand how to relate to other people better. Wow, Janine, that's... So first of all, thank you. Thank you for being here. We appreciate the work that Hello Neighbor is doing, uh, especially for uh, young people and, and the refugee family the families that uh, make up parts of this great city here. Uh, so I, I kind of want to take a step back because I, I should have said this to begin. Um, the beginning of the chapter, uh, Practicing Cultural Humility, there's a statement that mentors with cultural humility continuously reflect on their own social identity and make efforts to learn about their mentee social identity. So when you opened, you were talking about the fact that, you know, none of our young people are the same and then we're not same, right? And there's identities even within identities, right? Recognizing that many of the countries that young people are representing, there's different things that go into what makes them them, right? And I even think about that here in the city. Like if you go to one part of the city and go to one school district, our young people will behave and do things related to Spirit Week that are completely different to young people in another city uh, or another part of the city at another school. Spirit Week looks so different. It's even just the colors, right? Like think about one school's logo and the colors that they represent is completely different in another school. Um, so cultural is is seen just by location and where somebody could be in addition to some of those other experiences. So as the chapter goes on, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. So I, I appreciate uh, you all following along here, right? Uh, so the chapter talks about the fact that cultural humility is not cultural competence, because we'll never fully understand another person's culture or their experience. Uh, so cultural humility is not about being colorblind. 
um, because we all have differences and there's going to be differences that we'll navigate. Uh, but we want to today, I think, talk about some of the harmful realities that come with some of the assumptions you were starting to talk about, right? So as you think about the experiences that you have at Hello Neighbor, how um, do you all spend time really thinking about the harm that bias that we sometimes have or sometimes is even just mentioned in our statements, how do you all have conversations with families or even talk amongst the staff around how to navigate that bias that can be harmful? Yeah, I mean, the truth is that we're all constantly learning and everyone in the world makes mistakes. Um, and, And that's really important to recognize because so often when we come to conversations about equity or about justice or inclusion, people feel like they there's a right answer um, or a right way to say something. And if you don't know it, you shouldn't engage. And that's really not the right approach because you're not going to learn anything that way. One of the things that we really encourage mentors to do is to ask questions. Um, and we do the same as staff. We work with people from 26 different countries. There's absolutely no way we could be sure about everyone's expectations, everyone's cultural background, even everyone's like most important holidays. It's just such a broad scope that we're not able to know everything. But knowing everything isn't the goal, right? The goal is communicating and connecting with people. I had a conversation last week with one of our mentees. I was calling her to check in about her experience in the program. And she said to me, she was like, Jenny, they're so nice. They're so respectful and kind. They're always asking us questions about our culture. They want to know about our food, our religion. I feel like they really want to get to know us. And that's really the key. I hear that from so many of our mentee families is like, they asked questions. Mm -hmm. Um, So often we want to like assume that we we don't want to be wrong. And so we make assumptions and sort of proceed as though they are correct. Um, But really people feel most seen when you say, hey, what's up with that? Why do you do that? Is this important to you or is this other thing important to you? I heard that sometimes people from your community do this. Does your family do that? And sometimes they'll say, yes, absolutely, we do that. Everybody does that. And you'll go, okay, okay. (laughs) Um, And sometimes they'll say, no, actually, my family is more like this and here's why. Um, but people really respond to that that question, that curiosity about their lives and their individual person culture. It sounds like you're really setting up a space, like an open space for those good faith questions and like learning, I'm sure from both sides as well. Because, um, and even the example that you gave earlier, like about eye contact, if you just make an assumption that someone's not looking at me because of these reasons, but instead, I mean, you could also do a little Googling on the side to help, but, and then asking like, oh, does it make you like uncomfortable? If you notice that somebody seems like uncomfortable when you're making eye contact with them, like asking and like addressing it uh, rather than just like trying to guess. Yeah. You bring up another thing that's really important, which is body language. Um, a lot of our mentors and mentees don't speak the same language. And so they're communicating in a lot of different ways. Um, and one of the most important when you don't share a, a native language is gestures and facial expressions. And 
It is true that not all gestures uh, or facial expressions translate the same way across cultures, um, but a lot of things do. Smiles do. Laughs do. Um, the surprised face does. Um, and you can get so far by just paying attention to the way that someone looks and is behaving um, to sort of understand what what makes them tick and what's important to them. So I don't know if this comes up in, or if you've seen this come up in some of the mentoring relationships at Hello Neighbor. In chapter two, it talks about power imbalances, particularly between um, interracial mentoring pairs. And so could you talk some about like what happened like at Hello Neighbor, like the experiences there, if you've witnessed power imbalance, like in some of these mentorships and how people handle that or go into that? Yeah, there is necessarily always a power imbalance in our mentoring relationships. Even using the word mentoring suggests that one person is responsible for guiding the other um, in some way, right? That That's good. <laughs> Sorry, that was good. <laughs> that power imbalance exists doubly because the mentees are new to this country, because they don't know how to navigate systems within the U.S. They might not know how to ride the bus to their nearest grocery store or find out where the park is. Um, they might not know how to enroll their kids in school or what homework is. Um, and, and so that is always going to be there. And it is part of the role of the mentor to unjudgmentally guide um, with the recognition that these are adult to adult relationships. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the mentee family has a bunch of kids, right? Um, and that's a little different. But the goal really is to help the mentee get settled in a way that feels comfortable for them in the U.S. Sometimes we will see this tendency to want to fix a problem. Well, they don't speak English. So if they were just enrolled in an English class, everything would be better for them. Well, that may be true, but do they feel that need to learn English? Sometimes people say, no, I don't want to learn English right now. I'm too busy raising my kids. Um, you are, they're not going to be successful in an English class until they want to do that themselves, at which point you can guide them and help them sign up for that class. Um, as you would with any other adult, you cannot force them to make a decision or to change the way that they're doing something. All you can offer is context and advice. Hey, I have tried to do this thing this way and it did not work. However, this other way has been successful for me, right? It's not a good idea, I don't think, for you to purchase a car on a credit card. Um, here are some other resources we can use. It'll take longer for you to get the car, but you won't have that 26% interest rate, right? Um, to offer guidance about what consequences are likely to come from an action and then allow them to make that decision themselves. And then at the end of the day, you have to sort of say, you know what, it's their life. I'm here to help them. I'm here to be a friend. And a friend doesn't tell someone else what to do because uh, then you're not friends anymore. No one likes that. So yeah. Um, yeah. Hello Neighbor, a nonprofit startup located in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, envisions a welcoming, inclusive, and vibrant Pittsburgh and America whose newest neighbors can realize their dreams of success and prosperity. 
Our mission is to improve the lives of recently resettled refugee and immigrant families by matching them with dedicated neighbors to guide and support them in their new lives. To learn more about the organization or how you can get involved as a mentor, mentee, or volunteer, visit Hello Neighbor's website at helloneighbor.io. To keep up with our work, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Hello Neighbor HQ. I'm so glad you brought up the idea of fixing like a mentee. I think in like we focus a lot on youth mentoring relationships and um, adult to youth relationships. And so frequent, often we see a narrative of people want to fix a young person. And that's, we say, try to say every time that is not the mentality to have. Young people are already great just the way that they are. They do not need fixing in any way, shape or form, but we're there to guide them and like support them and care about them. So how, how do you all handle that mentality? Like you have ways that you encourage like mentorship, um, but when that, when that comes up or do you have trainings for it? Yeah, we have a full day training for the mentors right at the outset. Um, and then we have trainings about every month that are optional for the mentors to join. We additionally have check-in meetings regularly with the mentors and the mentees. Um, the, the idea of trying to fix someone or to fix their situation comes up a lot. Um, and every time it comes up, we do our best to talk people through what that feeling is that they are having. Um, why do you want to fix them? Do you think that this will actually be successful? Um, here's why I think it might not be. Um, and then we say over and over again, they're an adult. You have to let them make their own decisions. What would you do if you were in their situation? And often that um, gets the person to say, well, it's actually quite complicated and I might feel similarly to how they're feeling. So Jenny, thank you. This has been a, a very rich conversation. And uh, just a reminder, again, we're talking about becoming a better mentor guide. And we're focused on chapter two, which is written by Bernadette Sanchez from the University of Illinois, Chicago. Uh, and we're focused on this idea of thinking about what it is to practice cultural humility within our mentoring relationships. Uh, so we talked about cultural humility is self-reflection and it's ongoing learning. And I appreciate, Janine, that you were talking about, one, all of our mentors get trained in the beginning, right? And we talk about what this looks like within the mentoring matches, uh, recognizing that it's family to family and not just one-to-one. Uh, but then there's also the fact that you mentioned that there's this ongoing, continuous checking in, right? And recognizing that that monitoring and supporting is really important for effective mentoring to happen. Uh, and uh, so we at the Mentoring Partnership want to appreciate that you recognize what uh, is, is great practices in order to have a successful mentoring program. Uh, so with that, I just want to pause and ask, like, you know, do you have any other tips? What else has been successful um, for you all that you want to share with other mentoring pro programs who may be looking to be more intentional about creating better awareness of diverse cultures within their organizations? I think one of the most important things for having a diverse and rich organization is accessibility. Um, 
we have families who speak English fluently. We also have families who speak a language that they don't read and write in. Um, And that means figuring out how to communicate with all of those people and make sure that they have the same access to our events and to our programs that anyone else does. So for instance, one of the things that we do is every time we have an event, we use an interpreter to call every single person who's invited to that event. I've found, you know, just sort of A-B testing. Um, There have been events where we haven't done this, where we have messaged everyone a flyer in WhatsApp. And we have about 50% less attendance at those events than when we call. In part because it's personal. Hey, we want you to come to this. In part because it eliminates that barrier of literacy, that technology barrier. Um, And because it allows them to ask questions, right? They may not be able to formulate their question about the event in English, text it as a response, but they can, in their language, ask the interpreter, oh, what time will the bus come to my house? Um, Can I bring my cousin? Um, What should I expect to wear? Uh, These are the sort of things that anyone needs to know when they're getting ready to do an activity. Um, And they're able to ask that and have those questions answered. And so that's one of the steps that we take to to reduce those barriers and make it accessible to folks. Um, The other thing I would say that's so, so, so critical is time. Many non-U.S. cultures are more collectivist in nature. The U.S. is one of the most individualistic societies in the world. We really believe in the power of the individual, that everyone is different that you with your own mind and your own skills can achieve your goals. And we really downplay the role of community and support systems in making that happen. For many of the families that we work with, they come from a culture where the most important thing is each other. It's family, it's community, it's spending time together. Um, One of the things that sort of comes with collectivist cultures a lot of time is a different perception of how time works. So we are very, you have to be on time for the appointment. The appointment is at this time. If I am getting ready to go to that and something else comes up, I will drop it to make sure that I'm at the appointment on time. Folks from collectivist cultures tend to value the thing, the relationship that is in front of them at that moment, which means that from an American perspective, they're often late. They're often coming to the event 30 minutes to an hour after it started. And figuring out how to work with that can be a challenge, but really it means creating space. Sometimes it means telling people the event starts an hour before it actually does. (laughs) Um, But it also means scheduling long periods of time to be able to deal with the flux. Maybe you go to someone's house to mentor them and their cousin is there having tea, and that's going to go on for 45 minutes until that person is out the door and you're able to get started. Well, instead of saying, oh my gosh, the day is ruined, sit down, have the tea, and do what is in front of you also. That's that's my advice. I like that as an example of accessibility as well, like making that space. Um, and yeah, thank you for those examples um, and those tips. I know that Accessibility has been something that we've been thinking a lot about and like what does that mean for 
the people that we serve and the young people that we work with. And it's really important. I'd say a lot of young people are also sort of um, polychronic on time. They're, they sort of have that flexible sense of time as well. Um, you know, it's not, it's not surprising to, to see a teenager come to a thing 45 minutes late because they were talking in the hall with their best friend. Um, so it, it, I think that sort of has a crossover there as well. Yeah, and that gets to, like, as we were talking, like, culture means so many different things. It's not just about your ethnicity or race, but also just uh, being an adult versus being a young person. Like, culturally, we see things so differently than our parents did. Um, And then now what our young people are experiencing. So, um, yeah, there's so many different things to, to keep in mind when it comes to culture and and the differences that may be at, at hand as a result of that. I appreciate it, Jenny, uh, even just some of the societal inequities that you were mentioning and talking about. Um, so as Ashley was talking, like we've been really ourselves thinking about what that looks like um, in relation to accessibility. And I think that your examples made it like very plain, like just calling somebody is a great way to build relationship, which is what mentoring is all about in the first place. Uh, so sometimes we're so shy with, or we want to like, oh, that's going to take so much time. But that's how you invest in people um, is by making those phone calls. Uh, so yeah, I echo what Ashley was saying. Like, thank you for just making that very plain. And that is a great tip for others to consider. It might work for you. It might not. You know, it depends on the culture of the people you're working with. I'm sure that if... There are some people that when we call them, they're like, God, why do they keep calling us? <laughs> like, just text me. I can read. Like, um, and so, you know, and I, you know, I would prefer to get an event invitation by text personally. Um, so it's just being flexible and uh, recognizing what seems to work for people and what doesn't and then making adjustments, you know, as you go along. No one's the same. No one in the world is the same. It's one of the great beauties. So. I mean, it it sounds like you all spend a lot of time also listening to the needs of the people that you're working with, which is another big part of cultural humility. Um, I know it talks in the chapter of just just listening, especially like listening to young people about what they're telling you about themselves. So the people that you're working with, what are they telling you about themselves? What are they telling you that they need? And then actually acting upon that. Yeah, that certainly returns to the idea of a felt need. Um, whenever we try to make something happen and no one is telling us they need it, no one shows up. And then we're frustrated because we put all this time into this thing that we thought was a great idea and no one came. Um, when actually there are things that people are telling us that they want and need and would be excited about. And usually when we follow those those paths, that's where we find success. Well, we have one more question after this, but before we wrap up, I wanted to see if you had anything else that you wanted to add um, about Hello Neighbor or about the value of practicing cultural humility. I want to add that at Hello Neighbor, we envision this welcoming, inclusive, and vibrant Pittsburgh and America where our newest neighbors can meet their dreams and find prosperity. Um, And the flip side of that is making space in our community for those people. Um, creating opportunities, giving people a hand up, um, welcoming the diversity and richness that they are bringing into our lives as a gift, which it is. Um, And so as much as we are here to serve the 
immigrants and refugees that we work with, and that's our primary goal. I also hope that the folks who are mentors in our program come away equally enriched um, and with just as much sort of joy and love as the mentees. So, Danae, this has been a fantastic conversation, and, and we thank you. We uh, appreciate the work that Helen is, Neighbor is doing. We thank you for being on a call today to help us really think about uh, this, the value of practicing cultural humility uh, and the great work that you're doing by not only thinking about that mentor-mentee relationship as it relates to adults and youth, but then also the families. Uh, and what that looks like for uh, refugee families to come to a, an unknown place um, and to feel heard and seen. Like I really, when you said that, that really resonated with me and thinking about the fact that people want to feel valued. Um, and when we practice cultural humility, we're giving people respect in that sense. So the last part of today's conversation is this, uh, one of the chapters of Becoming a Better Mentor focuses on making room for fun and play. So I'd like you to take a trip down memory lane. And I want you to think about when you were a young person, can you reflect on a time that a a caring adult created a fun experience for you that had a lasting memory? When I was a teen, I was like a real nerd. Um, I... (laughs) I read a lot of books. I was a, not antisocial, but reserved. Um, and one of the things that I was involved in was developing conferences for other teens about peace and justice. And we all went to learn about what it means to make a more just world. And, you know, I've got my little notebook and I'm taking notes. It was like one of the best dance parties I've ever been to in my life. Um, (laughs) These kids had like incredible, incredible dance moves. I'm just like doing my weird little like white American middle schooler kind (laughs) of dance. Um, But I, I just had so much fun hanging out, like dancing, even though we didn't necessarily share that much language um, or, well, actually, that's not true. They had pretty good English. But even though we were coming from such different places, we were able to connect in this way that was human and sensory. Um, and it was just so much fun. I keep trying to, like, even as an adult, trying to, like, remember the moves they were showing me and try and, like, incorporate it into my various party dances. And no success, but... <laughs> It'll come to you when you're not thinking about it. (laughs) It's great that you had that time. It's nice to uh, break up all of that important work with a little bit of a little fun and letting loose. I don't remember anything else I learned, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, that's the, the value of that chapter is really talking about the fact that a lot of things are caught and not taught. And when we think about the experiences we've had with some of the caring adults in our lives, they didn't necessarily teach us something because they sat us down, but we caught something by being next to them or witnessing something. And it sounds like a dance party. Like as an adult, I think we need to have more of those dance parties. Like, I don't know what, like Fridays from three to five, we need to be able to just shut down the office and (laughs) teach each other some new TikTok dances or something. (laughs) 
that would help the work day, right? <laughs> so Jenny, thank you. Ashley, thank you for being uh, here today on, on Mentor Chat. We had a, a fantastic conversation and really thinking about how to help our mentees, adult and young people feel heard and seen. Uh, which goes back to that developmental relationship framework at the Search Institute and thinking about how to how share power. And the number one thing under share power is showing respect. So when we're practicing cultural humility, we're showing our mentees respect. Uh, so let that be our, our final thought today. Um, again, Jenny, thank you for being here on this call. Uh, Ashley, it's always a pleasure to be in community with you as well. Um, and for those of you who want to learn more about this practicing cultural humility, we want you to check out the Becoming a Better Mentor Guide, um, which is a toolkit that was developed by uh, Mentor and is available on our website for you to review and to learn more from. So thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. Stay inspired. Stay inspired. Stay inspired. If you want to read the chapter we discussed with Jenny today and learn more about practicing cultural humility, make sure to visit Mentor's website at mentoring.org and check out the Becoming a Better Mentor guide. Remember that cultural humility is an ongoing, lifelong practice. When you commit to it, that means you're doing continuous self-reflection and always challenging yourself to learn more and grow. Don't know where to start? This chapter in Becoming a Better Mentor Guide has a great section on practical tips and questions to kickstart self-reflection. Questions like, what are my social identities and how do they shape my worldview and experiences? How do I make space in my mentoring interactions for my mentee to express their own identities? Because this is a lifelong practice, we will make mistakes. It's still worth it. If you make a mistake, acknowledge it and learn from it. Investing in your self-education and taking time to listen to your mentee and build trust will help strengthen your relationship. Mentor Chat is written and hosted by Sophia Duck and Ashley Wineland with the Mentoring Partnership of Southwestern Pennsylvania. It is produced by Pretty Easy Podcasts. Our music is Cheery Monday by Kevin MacLeod. A special thank you to the Mentoring Partnership team. Thank you to our guests. For more information about us, mentoring, and this episode's topics, take a look at this episode's show notes and visit the Mentoring Partnership's website at www.mentoringpittsburgh.org. Be sure to like and subscribe to Mentor Chat wherever you get your podcasts.